Good morning, ECC, and greetings from your brothers and sisters at Grace Church. It is a joy to be here bringing you God's word. And as Pastor Aubrey said, what I'm going to be talking about from Ephesians 5 is God's design for marriage. And that topic is of great importance to every single one of us who are here this morning. For young people, this will be helpful as you anticipate marriage. For singles who are here, this will be helpful if you're anticipating marriage and also as you counsel your friends who are married. I wouldn't be surprised if some of you here this morning are married and feel like your marriage is on the brink maybe of disaster, of divorce. And I'm praying that God will use this message to breathe hope into your heart about your marriage. Some of you may be in marriages which are stable, but really lacking direction, lacking vision, lacking some passion, life. And I'm praying that God will breathe life into your marriage this morning. And others of you are maybe in a strong marriage, a vibrant marriage, a thriving marriage. I'm praying that this morning will help your marriage thrive even more. So this is crucial for all of us today. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33. And in this passage, Paul teaches that the husband is the head of his wife and that the wife should submit to her husband. Husband is the head of the wife and the wife should submit to her husband. Now the problem is that some of us, when we hear those words, submit and head, immediately what comes into our minds is a picture that makes it almost impossible for us to understand what Paul is saying in this passage. I wouldn't be surprised if some of us, the picture that comes into our minds is of an arrogant, domineering husband ordering around his oppressed and abused wife. That's the picture that's in some minds. But as I hope to show you from this passage, that is not at all what Paul is talking about. Years ago, a pastor shared with me a, a different picture, which I think is much closer to what Paul is describing in Ephesians chapter 5. Imagine a man and a woman ballroom dancing. The man has a very different role than the woman. Do you know that in ballroom dancing? The man has a different role than the woman. The man is initiating the steps and taking the lead. The woman has a different role from the man. Her role is to follow the man's lead and to submit to his initiatives. Different roles. But now the man is not being arrogant or domineering, and the woman is not being oppressed or abused at all. They are equally involved in the dance. They're equally important to the dance. They have equal joy in the dance, but they don't have the same roles in the dance. Their roles are different, and the result is beauty and harmony and joy. And that picture of ballroom dancing, I think, is much closer to what Paul is describing in terms of the roles of the husband and the wife and the way he describes them in Ephesians chapter 5. 
verses 22 to 33. Let's read these verses so that you can see what I'm talking about. Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Here's the conclusion then, quoting from Genesis 2.24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then Paul says, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, even though it's about Christ and the church, let each one of you, you have a part in this, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. When it comes to the husband's role and the wife's role in the home, people have come to really two different conclusions. Some think that the husband's and the wife's roles are the same. No different roles, same roles. This is called the egalitarian view. The word egalitarian means equal or same, meaning same, same roles. And so this view would hold that the husband's and the wife's roles are the same, not different. The husband does not have the role of leadership or headship, but the husband and wife share leadership and headship equally in the same way. This might be what some of you believe. Others, including me, think the Bible teaches that the husband's and the wife's roles are different in the home. This, this is the complementarian view. Complementarian means that the husbands and wives have roles that are different, but they complement each other. They help each other. They support each other. They encourage each other. This is my conviction. I think it's what Paul's teaching, and I'm hoping that I'll persuade all of you that that's the biblical view as a result of this morning. So let's start by asking this question. Are the husband's and wife's roles the same or different? What does Paul say here in this passage? And he answers this in verses 22 and 23. But now, before I read those verses, let me share with you one reason why egalitarians say there is no difference in roles. And it's because of the verse that is right before this passage, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. 
Listen to what Paul says. He says that we, all of us in the body of Christ, we are to be submitting to one another, one another, out of reference for Christ. So if we are supposed to be submitting to one another, wouldn't that mean that then husbands are submitting to wives and and wives are submitting to, to husbands? So egalitarians conclude from verse 21 that if husbands and wives are to submit to each other, then their roles must be the same, not different. The problem with that is verses 22 and 23. Look at what Paul says about husbands and wives' roles. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Paul is saying that the roles of husband and wife are like the roles of Christ and the church. Christ and the church do not have the same role. Christ is the head of the church. The church is not the head of Christ. And the church follows Christ's lead and authority. Christ does not follow the church's lead and authority. So since husbands and wives are to be like Christ in the church, that shows that the husband and the wife have different, complementary roles. I think that's clear from verses 22 and 23. But now if that's true, then what does verse 21 mean? Submitting to each other. What does that mean? How are husbands and wives supposed to submit to each other What it means is that we should all submit to each other in the sense of putting each other first and serving each other. So husbands and wives should submit to each other and serve each other, but because they have different roles, they're called to do that in different ways. Does that make sense? The husband submits to his wife, serves his wife, puts his wife first by sacrificially loving and leading and laying his life down for his wife, protecting, providing for her. The wife submits to, serves her husband by lovingly, sacrificially, encouraging, and following his lead. So husbands and wives submit to each other, but they do it in different ways that fit the roles that God has given to them in marriage. So I don't think egalitarians are right to think that verse 21 shows that the roles between the husband and the wife are the same. I think it's clear that the roles are different. The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. And the wife is to submit to her husband as the church submits to Christ. Now, what do both of those mean? We need to unpack the details of that. Let's start with Headship with the husband. What does it mean in this passage that the husband is the head of the wife? Look again at verse 23. Paul says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, the word head has to do with authority, which means that God has given husbands the 
the responsibility of, of authority, of loving leadership, loving leadership in the marriage. So men, don't miss this. If you're given authority, like say over a company, if you're given authority over a company, that means you are responsible for that company, right? Authority means responsibility. You're responsible for that company, for everything that happens in the company. And so if you are the husband, God is holding you responsible for your marriage and for your family. You are being held in primary responsibility of marriage and family. You can see this in the story of Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. You can turn there. We'll have it up on the screen. If you read earlier, I mean, this is the fall. Remember, Satan comes, tempts Eve. The whole time Satan is talking to Eve, if you read the passage carefully, Adam is standing right there doing nothing. And Eve is tempted and eats of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam eats as well. The fall happens. It is disaster. It is a crisis. It's heartbreaking. But after they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what did God do? He came looking for them. And who did God want to talk to first? Adam. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And that word you there is singular in the Hebrew. God loves Eve, God cares for Eve, but God first has to have some words with Adam. Adam, even though they had both sinned, God was holding Adam responsible, uniquely responsible for what had happened. They were both responsible, but God was calling out Adam first because he had unique responsibility. That's what authority, headship means, men. Picture it, brothers. When you stand before God on that judgment day, thanking Jesus that you're completely forgiven, clothed with his perfect righteousness, knowing that heaven awaits at that moment, I think God might also ask, ask each of us questions like this. With great love in his heart, he's going to ask, did you lead your wife spiritually? Did you initiate loving conversation on difficult topics, or did you just escape? Did you make sure the, fi the family finances were organized? Did you take the lead in family devotions? Did you lead your family in being part of a church? Did you lead your family in advancing the gospel, reaching lost people in your neighborhood in Abu Dhabi? So husbands, when you hear this word head, this is not something we should gloat over. This is a weighty responsibility. This should drive us to our knees, men. We cannot do this apart from Jesus' help. And with Jesus' help, we will totally be able to do this. But we should never gloat over this. If you're gloating over your headship, you are misunderstanding headship. This is a weighty responsibility before God. He's calling you to care for your wife and for your family. That's what headship means. 
to love and lead your wife, your family. We can see this also in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Man, when you think of headship, think of Jesus sacrificing himself on the cross. That's headship. Are you doing that? That's headship. He sacrificed himself for the church. God calls you, brother, to sacrifice your time, agenda, interests for your wife and for your family. Years ago, Wayne Grudem, I love this story. Wayne Grudem, a a theologian, professor in the U.S., he was teaching at a large, prestigious school in a very cold part of the United States. Loved his position, loved his colleagues, loved his friends. But then his wife started to develop a health problem that was made worse by the cold temperature and would be improved by warmer temperatures. And so what did Wayne Grudem do? He laid his life down for his wife. He left that large, prestigious position that he had at that seminary and took a position in a small, little, relatively unknown seminary in a warm part of the U.S. He was laying his life down for his wife. That's what it means to be the head of the family. Lead your wife in love for her sake. Not for your sake, for her sake. That's the call. And to help us understand this, Paul points us to how Jesus loved the church. It's this long list in verses 25, 26, and 27 of what Jesus does for the church. Now, I'm not sure that that list is a description of what that men do all of these things for their wives. I'm not sure that's the point. I think the point is to just blow us away with how Jesus loved the church and also men to give us hope and strength because we're part of that church and all these things will strengthen and help us to lay our lives down for our wives. So read that passage again. Start with verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. First of all, he died on the cross to pay for the sins of all who trust him. And so, brother, because you're trusting Christ, all those failures with your wife are forgiven. All of them forgiven. And you'll stand before Jesus on that final day forgiven for all of your sins. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus laid his life down for the church. You're part of the church. That's your model for headship. But receive the good news of his death paying for all of your sins. Verse 26 that he might sanctify her. Remember, you're part of the church. He purchased on the cross everything that you will need to live a holy, sanctified life, including a life of laying your life down for your wife. He's purchased all the strength that you need, all the faith that you need, all the grace that you need, all the peace that you need, everything, all the wisdom that you need. He's purchased everything that you need to be sanctified, and he will give that to you as you get on your knees and say, Jesus, help me. Help me to be a husband. Help me to be the head of this family. Hard decisions, Lord, difficult pressures. I'm tired. Help me. He will help you, sanctified, that he might sanctify her. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Oh, brothers, every day as you open up the scriptures and read. This is true for the the sisters too, but men, when you open up the scriptures to read, 
The scriptures will wash your soul clean from sin, from greed, from lust, from jealousy, from bitterness. The word will wash you clean so you emerge from your time in the word clean, strong, ready to lay your life down for your wife and for your children. This is what Jesus has done. Verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. He will present the church to himself beautiful. Look what Jesus has done for us, church. Husbands, wives, everyone. This is what he's done for us. And this is what Paul wants us to think about in terms of headship, loving. Husbands being the head of the wives. Husbands loving their wives. This is the picture right here. Then in verses 28 to 30, Paul gives another illustration of how husbands are to love their wives. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Men, when you publicly committed to love and care for your wife for the rest of your life, at that moment, God, in a miraculous, supernatural way, joined you and your wife together to be one flesh. It's amazing union between the man and the woman. That's what God did at that moment when you committed yourself to her. So you should care for your wife just as you care for your own body, because you are now joined together. So her concerns are your concerns, and her needs are your needs. Her sorrows are your sorrows. This doesn't mean that you buy her whatever she wants, okay? Just like it doesn't mean that You buy for yourself whatever you want. You don't do that, do you? Don't do that, okay? Not a good idea. But it means that you're committed to encouraging her, loving her, caring for her, asking how she's doing, listening, asking some more, listening some more, providing for her, building her spiritually, nurturing her. So you come home after a long day at work, You're exhausted. It's been difficult. And you serve your wife and your kids when you walk in the door. I remember hearing about a pastor who would stop his car five minutes before he got home and just pray and say, oh God, here I am now. I've got to to step up. I've got to love my wife and my kids. I'm exhausted. I'm empty. I'm worried. I'm fearful. I'm preoccupied. Help me. He would just stop his car, park, and pray for five minutes and then start the car up and head home and walk in the door. Wife, kids, how's everyone doing? Don't you love that? This means you open the car door for your wife. You fix the kitchen faucet for your wife, right? You bring in the groceries, take out the trash. You serve your wife, all kinds of different ways. You you take care of the kids Saturday afternoon so your wife can have coffee with the women in her life group. Go ahead, hon, have a great time. Enjoy. It means you take the initiative to talk about Maybe some hard topics, finances, 
how the kids are doing, how, how you're raising the kids, your sexual relationship. You, you take the lead on, we need to talk about some things, hon. Let's sit down, let's talk. You take the initiative on those. Headship means loving leadership. Loving leadership. And it's not easy, brothers. But Jesus will give you everything that you need. Everything. Let me clarify a couple things. Headship does not mean that the husband always gets his way. Okay? Your leadership is not to serve you. Your leadership is to serve your wife. That's your goal in leadership. Okay, so if your wife loves food from India, and, and you're just craving food from Thailand, it's been a long time, you know, make the reservation at the Indian restaurant. Okay? That's what you do. And you'll enjoy your wife's joy in the Indian food, all right? You'll enjoy it too. Headship does not mean the husband makes all the decisions by himself, goes into his office, makes decisions, comes out, and here's the, here's the plan. Not at all. Your wife has amazing wisdom from God. So many times, Jan has helped me see blind spots in my thinking, time and time and time again. Your wife is incredibly gifted with wisdom from God. So, sit down, talk, ask her her opinion, listen, understand. If you end up disagreeing and the decision needs to be made right now, the burden of the decision is on you, men. And it is a burden, but the burden of that decision is on you. So you pray, you seek the Lord, and you make the decision humbly, lovingly with a heart that's pure. Also, headship does not mean that the husband forces his wife to do anything. I, I hope, men, we all understand that. The husband never, ever forces his wife to do anything. So what should you do, men, if, for example, you feel like your wife is too lax in raising the children? What should you do? Well, you, you, you humbly talk to her about it. You appeal to her. You, you open the scriptures. You, you share your, your heart concern. You pray with her about it and, and for her. But men, you never speak harshly to your wife. Every word should be kind and tender and love, loving. And men, you never hurt your wife. Never. Jesus will forgive you for whatever you've done, men, and he wants to change you. And let this morning be the beginning of change. Don't ever hurt your wife. And, and wives, if, if your husband ever physically hurts you, talk to the elders here at ECC. They will help. Talk to the appropriate authorities. And there's nothing wrong with having a time, temporary time of separation for your safety, if that's necessary. Those are important things to mention. And, and I've talked to Aubrey, the, the, the ECC, your elders here at your church here agree on, on those points. And that's what it means for the husband to be head. And I hope, men, that you're feeling at this point, I'm not sure I'm capable of that. That would be an appropriate thought because none of us is in ourselves. But Jesus Christ will enable you to do that.
He never calls us to do anything we will not be able to do in Him. Now, that's headship. Okay, let's move on to what does it mean for the wife to submit to her husband? What does that mean that the wife is to submit to her husband? Look again at verses 22 through 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. If headship means loving leadership, then submission means respectful followership. Respectful followership. It means you welcome his leadership. You encourage his leadership. You don't resist his leadership. You follow his leadership. And this is not because the man is superior to the woman. I hope we all understand that. Men, you are not superior to your wife. Men, women, some stronger in some areas than others. It depends on the woman, depends on the man, okay? But a clear example of this, 1 Peter chapter 3. Paul is talking to women, believing women, who have unbelieving husbands and tells the believing women to submit to their unbelieving husbands, even though those women are going to be further along spiritually than their husbands, obviously. So it's not a matter of superiority. It's a matter of how God has made the marriage to function. God has decided the husband should have the role of loving leadership and the wife the role of respectful followership. That's why Paul calls women to submit to their husbands. Now, a couple of clarifying points. What if the husband uh, wants to call his wife to join him in sin? What should the wife do? If the husband says, uh, sweetie, I, I think this year we need to cheat on our taxes. We really need to. What should the wife do? She should humbly say to her husband, I wish I could support your leadership in this, but my ultimate allegiance is to Jesus Christ. And Jesus tells me not to lie. So I cannot follow you in this. Because of Jesus, no, I will not. That's the right thing for the wife to do because her ultimate allegiance isn't to her husband. It's to Jesus. The husband is not the wife's ultimate authority. Jesus is. And the reason that the wife follows the husband's authority, except for into sin, is because Jesus calls her to. Here's an illustration. I, I love this, this story. This is from our church back in, in the U.S. A woman wanted to go on a short-term missions trip to North Africa. Very excited about this. Her husband wasn't able to go, but she wanted to go. When she shared this with her husband... He thought about the risks, and there were risks, the dangers, and there were dangers, and he didn't want her to go. Didn't want her to go. So what should she do? She knew Jesus was calling her to submit to her husband, but she didn't think he was right. For the sake of the gospel, she thought the risks and the dangers were appropriate. She didn't think her husband was right, so what should she do? She did exactly the right thing. She sat down with him, 
and shared her heart. Why she wanted to go, why she thought the risks were appropriate for the sake of the gospel, she shared her heart. And he expressed his fears, his concerns. <clears throat> she acknowledged them. And she said, Hun, would you pray about it? Pray about the risks, pray about the dangers. I want to go, but if, if you pray about it and decide I shouldn't go, I will not go. I will support you 100%. You pray about it and let me know. That was exactly the right thing to do. That wasn't easy for her. She wanted to go. What if he decided she shouldn't go? That would have been hard for her, but she did the right thing. She did the right thing, and he went and prayed about it. And as he prayed about it, God changed his heart, made him think about the advance of the gospel that would take place on this trip. And yes, there were risks and there were dangers, but Jesus is worth it all. And so he, he shared with her, I think you should go. I want you to go. Now, women, it doesn't always go that way. It's not how these decisions always end up. Don't misunderstand me. Okay? But that's what Jesus is calling you to do. And then you trust him for the outcome. Yes, you say, whatever your husband says, you say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. This is Jesus. Okay? One last question. Paul's conclusion. What is Paul's conclusion? Verses 31 to 33. Start with verse 31. Quote from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. As I said earlier, when God joins husband and wife together, they become one flesh flesh joined together in a deeply beautiful, mysterious, powerful, miraculous way. There's a joining together there. But now God has a special purpose for this joining together. Verse 32, Paul says, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So this mysterious, wonderful joining together is not just for the sake of your joy, that's part of the reason, and that's a wonderful gift in marriage, but it's not just for the sake of your joy or for the sake of children. That's another wonderful gift from marriage, which is part of marriage. But Paul is saying that the highest purpose for your marriage is that this unity, this profound unity, would display Jesus to the world. That as the husband exercises sacrificial, loving leadership, laying his life down for his wife, the world is going to say, how does that happen? How does somebody love in that way? And the answer will be Jesus. And as the wife trustingly, humbly follows her husband's lead, even when it goes against her inclinations, people will say, how is that possible for her to love and, and to be humble and submissive in that way? And the answer is because she's trusting Jesus to work through all this. So the husband's love and the wife's submission is going to display who Jesus is. That's Paul's conclusion in verse 33. However, even though this is to display Christ in the church, you are the ones who are doing this display. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So husbands, wives, the highest purpose for your marriage is to display Jesus to Abu Dhabi, to display Jesus to your neighborhood. 
Husbands, as you sacrificially lay your life down for your wife, that will display Jesus. He's the only one who can enable you to love in that way. Wives, as you humbly, trustingly submit to your husband, that will display Christ because he's the only one who is so trustworthy that you can submit in that way. And as we do that, there will be displays of Jesus Christ throughout Abu Dhabi. So, men, lay your lives down for your wife. Lay, lay your life down for her. Loving leadership. And women, gladly, humbly, with trust in Christ, submit to your husband. Respectful followership. Lord, I pray that you would touch every heart here with what marriage is, with what their marriages ought to be, and that you will give them everything they need to do this. In Jesus' name, amen.